Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf tes. Today's shir is Le'ilu Nishmas Tzvi Ben Sion Ben Yisrael and Yechiel Moshe Ben Shabsai. May their neshamas have an aliyah. May their memory be a blessing. It's also for Rafu Shleim of Machan Arya Ben Chana Freida and Pinchas Kalman Ben Rivka. May they have a complete and speedy recovery. Okay, let's go from the eighth last line on Chesamud uh, Bay's 8b, um, which is finishing off the discussion regarding um, the practices of a house of mourning. So the line starts, Omar Ula, Omar Ula said, Some say it's actually from a Chazal instituted that the Ovel should have, that they should, they should drink 10 cups of wine in the Besa Ovel. Again, the idea was, I'm trying to remember where, but it says that uh, that uh, wine was created, one of the main created, or wine was created to console mourners, to comfort the mourners. So Chazal instituted that they should have ten cups. It says, Three before to whet his, uh, their appetite. Um, the three, three glasses in the meal to help with digestion. And four at the end of the at the end of the meal, it seems I don't know if this is after benching or included in benching. But echod keneged hazan veechod keneged birchas oritz veechod keneged boyne yerushalayim veechod keneged atova meitiv. One corresponding to each of the four blessings in benching. We know benching which starts with one bracha which ends off baruchat Hashem hazan esakol. Then from noideh to the baruchat Hashem. Um, What's it? No, I'm just thinking of Alamichia, but it's um, um, uh, the bracha on Ha'aretz on Eretz Yisrael, uh, for Eretz Yisrael and the land, and then there's the third bracha which ends Uvenei Yerushalayim, and that's the bracha for Yerushalayim, and then the third, the fourth bracha, which is so those are actually all three brachas Doraisa, and then the fourth bracha is a bracha instituted by the rabbis, Hatova um, Meitiv, it ends. So those, they would have a, a glass of wine corresponding to each of those. So now that's uh, three before the meal, three during the meal, and three and four after the meal. It says, And then they instituted another four glasses of wine. It says, One corresponding to the Chazoneir. That seems almost similar to the Hebra Kedish, those who take care of the burials and the cemeteries and the the general, the Jewish infrastructure, Echot Keneged Parnoseir, another glass of wine corresponding to the, those who uh, supported the, this, the, the people of the city, almost, I guess, the, the donors to the Hebra Kadisha, and the Echot Keneged Beis Hamigdash, the Echot Keneged Rabban Gamliel, one corresponding to the Beis Hamigdash, and one corresponding to Rabban Gamliel. We see why Rabban Gamliel deserved a glass of wine corresponding to him. Says, but then they saw that everyone was drinking and becoming drunk, which is definitely, if, if that's ever appropriate, definitely not in a house of mourning. So, uh, um, so they returned the matter to its original way. So the question just is, the original way meaning 10 glasses of wine and not 14? Or the original way is that they'd have a little bit of wine, but not, no institution that there's a minimum of 10 glasses. I mean, I would lean to say the first one, if you're going to be having 10 glasses of wine, um, then uh, it's, there's, most people, I'm sure, will be very good, uh, will already be very drunk by then, so it probably means to have a little bit of wine to comfort the mourners, but not too much. Obviously, it's not a, a it's not a, um, Avelus is not in a house of mourning, it's not a place for a party. Uh, um, no, so it was... No, so the ten were made up of three before, three, three during, and four after, and then they made another four, so that's 14. So everyone was getting drunk, so they reverted to the original decree that there's no minimum. Um, interesting halacha, so um, people get mixed up, but mourners are allowed one. Um, don't know whether it's in, I'm not sure whether it's encouraged or thing, but they're definitely allowed one, and one is there to help them. Uh, uh, that's it, to help comfort them. But as we know, definitely should not be having too much. 
says, my Rabban Gamliel, what do we mean when we said they instituted a glass of wine corresponding to Rabban Gamliel? What was special about Rabban Gamliel? says, the Tanya we learned in a Brisa, Berishoyna, in the early days, the, the expenses for the funeral were harder on the relatives than his death. I had the panic and the stress and anxiety that the, the, the funeral expenses was more taxing on the family than the actual death. And to reach a stage where many people, were, when they knew a family relative died, they'd skip town. It just, they just couldn't handle the, the things. I think they used to make very elaborate uh, clothes and monuments and uh, expensive uh, jewelry to dress the mason, all, all things like that. Um, you know, what's it? Uh, go get designer brand suits for the shrouds. So it, it was just un. Uh, People just couldn't handle it. it says, Until Rabban Gamliel came along and he treated himself lightly and he and he and all he wore was uh, plain linen garments. And people followed his lead and they dressed in and they used shrouds. And Omar of Papa Vaina Nago Alma Filu Betsrado Betsroro Barzuza. And our Papa says nowadays people, the mean I guess, to use even something like tsrore, some sort of like canvas, very cheap material, worth only a zuz. Aye, so that the shrouds are not something that you glorify the mace with. They're very simple and very plain. Uh, there's also one thing I think the leadership of Rabbi Gamliel here is quite amazing. It's all very well for the, you know, the rabbi, the, the Godadot to get up and say, you know what, from now on everyone, you know, you guys must stop wearing fancy or Doing, uh, spending a lot on uh, funerals, but he didn't. He didn't even bother that. He just made the rule that, you know, from himself onwards, he 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 will be buried in um, fancy. Then again, it's not degrading to the first person who's buried in the simple um, shrouds, and that's how he led and changed the practice. And that's why Ramon Gamliel um, was deserving. And interesting, as we said, it, brought, it, it it reverts the honor to the deceased because at first the they, the, the family couldn't even concentrate on the morning. There was so much anxiety induced by the expenses. And now that it was a simple, just regular, simple shrouds, they could go back to honoring the deceased. Okay, now we're going on to the next subya. And this is going back to the beginning of the Mishnah. So remember, the Mishnah said that a virgin must get married on a Wednesday. So that if the husband has a claim that she is not a virgin... He'll go to based in the following morning on Thursday. Remember, they used to sit on a Monday and a Thursday. If we were concerned, and see if he, if he gets married on the Thursday, so then, and then he realizes, or he wants to claim she's not a virgin, he has Friday, Shabbos, Sunday, you know, but then he might have, like, you know, got over his anger, his disappointment in finding that his bride was not a basula, and he's not going to go anymore. But that was the Mishnah's reason. Now we're going to go, what? Um, right at the end of Chesamud Beis. So now, the, the, the important introduction for this is, firstly, there's two claims that he has when he says she's not a basula. The one is Pesach, uh, Petach Potuach, which means literally he found her open. I, there wasn't, he, he didn't uh, experience the expected resistance that he would from a basula, from a virgin. So that's his claim. The second claim is what's called Tana's Damim. He's claiming there was no blood on the sheets. She didn't bleed. So she must have not been a basula. And those are the two claims. Interestingly enough, and the Gomorrah is going to touch, uh, is going to focus on this. Think about it. The claim of Pesach Pasuach, he didn't find the resistance, is a little bit dubious because, especially if we're speaking about a person getting married for his first time, what does he know? What does he know? And the Gomorrah is going to touch on that. And we are going to see that it's a, 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 in scenarios we do accept the claim of, he says, I didn't, um, there was no resistance and therefore she must have been a Ba'ula, not a Basula. But that is something that the Gomorrah is going to pick up on. Now, yeah. so just to go back to what the relevance and the significance of this claim. What difference does it make whether it turns out that she's a basula, whether she is or isn't a basula? 
Okay, so that will be one one discussion which actually doesn't come up in today's stuff. I think it's tomorrow's stuff. Is it's Mekach Tos? He's getting married under false pretenses. He's marrying this woman, assuming that she's X. She's a basula in this case, and it turns out not. As we um, almost to put it into uh, just general business terms, you know, you go to a macro and you buy a, you buy something, and it comes with all these faults, or or you or the box said uh, it, it contains uh, A, B, and C, and you open the box and it doesn't contain A, B, and C. That's sold under mistaken premises. The sale is voided. That's not the concern of today's stuff. Today's stuff, the concern is a much greater concern, and that is for adultery. If a woman commits adultery, she becomes also to her husband. He's not allowed to live with her. And that's the key point. When he comes along and claims Pesach Pesuach, or one of these claims, he's basically saying he is not allowed to remain married with her. He's not allowed to live with her. Um, that's, the, that's the more significant claim and the one that's discussed on today's, the, the more significant ramification. How does it work? So remember, they would do a Rusin, and much later they would do Misuin. The, the consummating. Now, after a rusin, the husband and wife don't live together, but for just about every single halacha they considered married. So if she would commit adultery then, it would be, it's fully-fledged adultery. She could, theoretically, they could be put to death, the uh, adulterer and adulteress, um, the punishment for adultery. It's after a rusin. So they, let's say in January they did, uh, they got uh, married, did a rusin, and now, as far as he knows, he's uh, doing a kiddushin. He put the ring on the finger of a basula. Comes December, when, they, when their wedding is scheduled, and they have their wedding, and he says, no, she wasn't a basula anymore. So he's claiming that he's not, uh, he's not allowed to be married to her anymore. She committed adultery over the last year. So that's the, that's the key point. That's to remember. He's by, that's, that's his accusation, and the ramification of his accusation is that she is forbidden to him. So let's see some of this. So Omar Rabbi Lezer says, If a man claims, I found her open. There was no resistance. So again, this is the first of the claims. His claim is that there was no resistance. Um, he's believed to forbid her to him. I, he makes his wife also to him. Now, um, it's a doubt. It's not 100%, as we'll see, because we could, um, well, there are various doubts. Maybe he made a mistake. Maybe he wasn't able to identify the resistance. Maybe there was. He just doesn't know what he's expecting because he's never had beer before. Or, uh, as we'll see, some other doubts that could be. But still, we know in a Doraisa Halacha, you go strict. So, therefore, um, she says, um, he says, Pesach Pesach Matasi. He has to go strict and treat her as if she's had adultery and he can't live with her anymore. He would have to divorce her. Um, what's that based on? Ah, then then nothing. If it's before if she had beer before Irusin, well then it's a single girl having beer it's, has no halachic ramifications, except for like you say in the Kasuba. He thought he was marrying a Basula and she lied to him and she's a Bula. Oh, so the Gomorrah is going to touch on that. But that's, that's a doubt. So it's a doubt. Therefore, but he has to go strict. The Gomorrah, what's it based on that he can go strict? I mean, there, there is a bit of discussion. What's she claiming? Is she claiming, yeah, but still, he says she's a basula, she, or she commi- he says she committed adultery, and she says, this I most learned, I did nothing wrong. Or she says, yeah, this was from when I was a kid. Or I got injured, and that's what it's from. It's not a, I'm not a, I didn't commit adultery. A different, there's a, there's a discussion in the Rishonim what exactly her counterclaim is, but let's just learn her counterclaim is she says, no, I was a basura. So there's a principle called Shabiyai Nafshei Chatechadi Surah. You can make something considered osur for yourself. By the fact that he's claiming Pesach Pesach Pesach, he's saying, Look, I might not have witnesses. I might not be able to verify or prove my claim. He has no way to prove his claim. It's what he experienced. Um, but, I mean, there might, 
Raka, oh, once there's a whole story and it makes the tabloids or the, and the, makes, sadly, the Shabbos table gossip or something like that, then Adrian might say, oh, actually, we saw her with so and so. They might come proof, but he doesn't have anywhere. His claim is substanti- is given credibility, even though he can't substantiate it. Um, and that's based on the principle of Shavya Nafshei Chatzicha de Isura. He can make something also. Now, there's a very interesting discussion. There's a lot in this stuff. It's a short stuff, but there's a lot going on. So I'm going to try to bring out some of the main points, um, principles that we come across. So this principle is, what's it based on? He's basically saying, I know she's also. I've got no proof. Da-da-da. We say, okay, we give you the credibility she's also to you. Um, it would be similar if someone comes along and says, I, I watched that shchita, and it was a bad shchita. I know that animal's not a kosher animal. It wasn't shechted properly. Now, according to everyone else, well, we trust the shoychet, and the shoychet says it was a good shechita, uh, etc. So we believe we would generally, I don't want to go into exact parameters, but we'd believe the shoychet. But this guy says, well, as far as I saw, it wasn't shechted properly. So So the one opinion holds that. That is based on, it's like a neder. It's a person taking a vow. He says, I take a vow that this is as if it's also to me. Person can do that. I take a netter that I'm not allowed to eat carbs. I take a netter that that woman is forbidden to me. That's the equivalent of a netter. Another opinion says that no, this is um, it's, it's basically aidus, but for yourself. We know that when a person is believed to himself, like a hundred witnesses, and therefore granted, when I want to stop you doing something or say that something is also to you. I might have to bring proof, I might have to bring adim, etc. But for myself, I can, I believe what I saw, I believe what I experienced, I believe, so I am believed to myself, I'm believed like adim, like witnesses. So that's another way of looking at it. Um, interesting, the third way of looking at it, which is almost, the, I feel like, the least halachic, but in some ways the most brilliant, is that if you know something in your mind, how can you go against that? You witness the shrita. The shoichait and everyone standing around you says, no, it's a good shrita. You know that as you say, I saw it wasn't. So your mind, how can you go against what you know? Okay, but the, so the two main opinions are, as I said, equal to a neder, or, um, or is it like adim, like witness? Oh, it's kind of like adim. I know. I, have, I testify on behalf of myself that I know that X is also. Um, some of the ramifications, just to highlight it, some interesting ones, is um, if they know they're lying. I mean, this guy knows whether he's saying the truth or not. Let's say he lied, but he knows he's lying. So if it's based on his, we view it as he's testifying on behalf of himself, well then he knows he's lying, his testimony falls away, and he'd be permitted to his wife. But if you say it's a neder, it's like it's based on the concept of a netter. Well, as soon as he said she's Pesach Pesuk Motsasi, he's taken a vow from getting benefit from her. He would still be author, even if he knows he's lying. That would be one ramification. Another interesting ramification is, okay, not in this context, but a non-Jew. We don't accept non-Jews as... Um, um, we don't, non-Jews can't make a nadorim. It's a mitzvah, it's something in the Torah, a neder. But there is certain scenarios where we believe in non-Jew. So if we say is based on a neder, well then it wouldn't have, then a non-Jew wouldn't have any ramifications in the discussion. But if it was based on believing, like witnesses, then it could have ramifications for a non-Jew as well. Okay, so back to where we were. So the man claimed Pesach Petuach Matsasi, we say he's believed to forbid it to him. Rashi says, she becomes ostrich to him, but obviously she can still collect her ksuba. Because again, the, her collecting the ksuba, okay, if she was found to be an adulterer, then they get divorced and she doesn't get a ksuba, the payout. That, um, but if, but here, he doesn't have any proof. So from his side, we treat her as ostrich. That's what we say, we believe in him. He considers her ostrich to him. He makes her ostrich to him. But regarding affecting her, you would have to bring stronger proof. So that is, um, so that, that's, that's how Rashi learns. We'll discuss it a little bit more over the page. Where he says, Mamai, why should she become osur to him? Sveik sveikahu. It's a double doubt. And sofek taktov, sofek ain taktov. 
The first doubt is, did she have this beer while married to him, after a Rusin, or was it before a Rusin? And even if you say that she had this beer after a Rusin, she became a non-virgin after a Rusin, there's a doubt whether it was forced or willful. If a married woman is raped, she's still permitted to her husband. If she's, if it's a, an affair, if she's willful, then she becomes also to her husband. So it's a double doubt. Now, as I said, where it's a sophic or rice, so it's a doubt whether she's forbidden to him or not, he has to go strict and treat her as. But there's a concept of a spake faker when you have this double doubt that she does not become forbidden, that she should not become forbidden to him based on a double doubt. Whenever you have a Again, this is the general halacha, sofek doraisa lechumra. If it's a sofek in a doraisa halacha, you go strict and you'd forbid it. But if it's a double doubt, then you don't have to treat it as forbidden. I'll come back to that is shortly. Even in the case of an Yeah, even in a isu doraisa, sveiks a double, a doubt of a doubt is mutar. So here again, what the two doubts? First doubt is, was it actually adultery? Maybe she was already not a basula from before Irusin. And the second doubt is, it's after. She says, she says, No, we're discussing Aisha's Kohen. A, a, a Kohen's wife, there's only one doubt here. A Kohen has to divorce his wife if she, even if she was raped. Again, a Yisrael is only has to divorce his wife if she committed adultery willfully. If she was raped, he can remain married to her, but a Kohen has to. So there's only the single doubt. Was it before they got married or after? The Another possibility is we're speaking about a regular uh, Yisrael's wife, but the case is where the father accepted Kiddushin for his daughter when she was less than three years old. A girl who's less than three years old, we say her harmon always grows back. The father, we know, can accept marriage on behalf of his minor daughter. So if he accepted Kiddushin on this girl when she was under three, so he said accepted Kiddushin from a man to marry his daughter when she was less than three, so that's the Eirusin. Even then when she's 18 and they actually go through with the Nisuin, she's been, for all intents and purposes, he says Pesach Pesuach Matasi, she could only have committed adultery because if it was before they were married when she was under three, it would have grown back. If it's, so it must have been while they were married. So there's only one doubt. Was she forced or was it willful? So again, so the case is you're right. If it was a sveik sveiker, then she would not become forbidden to him. If it was a, a single, if it's a single doubt, well then in these cases, either the wife of a kohen where the only question is, was it before or after they did a rusin, or the case of Israel who married this girl when she was under three, um, then the only doubt is, was it boines or baratzon, then she would be Forbidden to him. Interesting enough, also, they have to get, we have to discuss a case with, with this girl who did a Rusin, whose father accepted the Kiddushin for her when she was three, they had to have got married when they were older. Because um, even if she was, when she was 10, she uh, willfully had beer with another man, it's what's the, the Torah has the concept of statutory rape. A mana, it's always considered rape by a mana, it's never considered willful. So it had to be that after, when she was over 12, that's when they actually got married. He says, Pesach Patuach Matasi, there's only the single doubt of, was it willful or oines? And therefore she's, um, he would be also to her. Just interesting, if we say, by a Doraisa Halacha, we go strict when there's a doubt, why does a double doubt help? And this is, this is a Shas question, this is not limited to us. Okay, this will come up in any single discussion you're dealing with doubts and how to resolve it and how do you think. So the, this, there's a, Fascinating This that we say when it's an isudorai, so you have to go strict. I, I'm just trying to think offhand. I'm not sure whether this is kosher meat or not kosher meat. Isudorai, sir. You would have to go strict and not eat the meat. Treat it as non-kosher. If it's only an isudorai, can't think offhand and what example. You're not sure whether this is osur or not. You can go lenient in the Isu Drabonan. That's the general principle. This that we say you have to go strict or Isa, is that according to Torah law or rabbinic law? <laughs> so that's, that's a machlok as we showing him. Again, it's, it's a subtle point, but an important one. This that we say, you're not sure whether, um, you're not sure whether you said Shema. So Shema is a mitzvah or Isa, you have to say it again. You're not sure whether you benched. Benching is a mitzvah or Isa, you have to bench again. That 
we're going strict Doraisa. Is that a rabbinic enactment that you must go strict in a Doraisa doubt? Or is it Rabbonin? And that play, then plays to a double doubt. If you hold that it's only Midrabbonin, I, this that you have to go strict in a doubt is only Midrabbonin, when it's a double doubt, well then it's a doubt in whether you have to go strict, which this that you have to go strict is only a rabbinic law. So it's a doubt in a rabbinic law, and that's why you can go lenient. A little bit of a tricky point, but just an interesting one. Then there are other ways to learn, but I think let's go on. So he says, now the Gemara asks, Mike Amash Malan, what's Rabbi Eliezer coming to teach us? I... Um, um, what, that a person is believed to oyster something based on what he says? says, Tanina, we already learned that in a Mishnah, that a person can say something which would make it also to... That's basically what we said. Rabbi Lezer says, this man comes along and says, Pesach for Sochman he makes this woman, his wife, also to him. He says, what, he's, we need Rabbi Lezer to teach us that a person can make something also. We know it from a Mishnah elsewhere. It says, He says, I married this woman. And she says, no, you never. He says, when we were, yes, they, they come back from holiday, and he says, when we were in Cape Town, we got married, and they ate him there, but they've disappeared. And he says, she says, no, we never got married. Says, he muteres bekrovov, she's allowed to marry his relatives, but he also bekrovov sell. He's forbidden to marry her relatives. He can't marry her, he says he was married to her, so he therefore can't go along and marry her mother, her daughter, her sister, etc., so, the Gomorrah, so what's the Gomorrah saying? We don't need Rabbi Eliezer to teach us that a man's believed to forbid something on himself. We know that from elsewhere. He says, no. There, he, we can say he's certain. He says with 100% certainty, I married her. But here, as I pointed out in the beginning, there's a little bit of doubt. Does he really know to recognize Pesach Pesuach? Is he really aware of whether there was resistance or not? So maybe here you would say he's not believed and Rebbe Leza comes along, Kamash Malan, he comes to teach us that he still believed even though there's this little bit of doubt that maybe he wasn't, he's not aware of what it feels like to have resistance or no resistance and that's why. Now the Gemara asks, Does Rebbe Leza really say this? Now what's the Gemara asking? Um, that a woman through, if, through her husband's words becomes forbidden to him. I, as we've said, the general halach is that a woman who commits adultery becomes also to her husband, but Rebbe Lezis basically says that's even if he says she committed adultery, she becomes also to him. But now we're going to show that Rebbe Lezis actually seems you actually need a much higher level of clarification or a very specific type of clarification to make a, a woman also to him. And this is based on the sota. Just to not get confused, when we say a sota vadai, that's a woman who committed adultery, a soita sofek is the parsha of the soita in the chumash. Remember, that's a woman whose husband warned her, I don't want you to go into isolation with so-and-so. And she goes into isolation with so-and-so, that's the nistara. Kinui is the warning, and the nistara. Now, there's no proof that they did anything when they were in isolation. But by the fact that the husband warned her, and she still went into isolation... She becomes forbidden to her husband until she drinks the special waters in the Beisamikdash, that whole uh, ceremony, uh, ritual. So, so, so just to bear that in mind, so me or my Rebeleza, how can Rebeleza really say this, that a man is able to for make his wife forbidden to him? As an author says, A man, a woman only becomes forbidden to her husband through kinoi vestira, I through where he warns her and then she still goes into isolation. Like the case of, like the case that was. The case that was here is David and Bathsheba. We know the case there. David Amelech saw Bathsheba on the roof and he sent some people to go bring her to the palace. But there was, so, so, so that's what Rebbe Lezer seems to say. That's only in a very specific scenario does a woman become forbidden to her husband. And here we've just said a man can just claim Pesach Pesach Matosi and she becomes forbidden to him. That seems, Rebbe Lezer seems to contradict himself. So Gemara asks, but Tizbara, is it logical how you understanding Rebbe Lezer? says, Firstly, was the case in David of Bacheva with warning and isolation? Did Uriah, Bacheva's husband, ever warn her not to go into isolation with David? We don't see that. Doesn't fit in with the narrative. So that can't be where there was Kiddu Vestira. So how can you say that a woman only becomes forbidden to her husband like in the case of David and Bathsheba with Kiddu Vestira? There wasn't Kiddu Vestira. And secondly, we don't see that she became also to David Amelech. Um, 
gain. If you would say that, um, you know, I should say it works both ways. This that a woman commits adultery, she becomes also to her husband, she also becomes forbidden to the man she committed adultery with. So even if she subsequently divorces her husband or her husband dies, she becomes also to the man. We see David married Bathsheba. So it can't be that there was Kinoi Vestira and then she becomes also to her husband. So you, Rebbe Lezer doesn't make any sense at all. So he says, no, Holokasha. That's not revealed. Hachik Omar. This is what Rebbe Lezer was saying. This that we know that a woman only becomes forbidden to her husband through this warning and then going into isolation with that man is from the story of David and Bathsheba. Because by David and Bathsheba, there was no warning in isolation. Uriah never told her not to go into isolation with David and Melech. And therefore, and we see that she did not become Osir to David and Melech. So, in the case of Maaseh Shehoyo, so we, we're working backwards. We're saying, by the case of David and Bathsheba, there was no Kinovistira, and that's why she was allowed to remain with David and Melech after her husband died. Whereas... In a regular case, when, when there is kinovastira, that's where she becomes also to her husband. But the Gemara points out, he says, Mikom akum kasha, in We nevertheless, we still have the difficulty, is that it seems only in a case of kinovastira does a woman become forbidden to her husband, and not in a case of where he claims Pesach So again, this is a contradiction in Rebbe Lezer. We start off the that Rebbe Lezer saying, if a man just claims Pesach Pesuach Motsasi, his wife becomes also to him. Whereas here, Rebbe Lezer seems to be saying, no, only if you meet the specific criteria of the case of Kinu Vestira, he warns her in front of Adim, I don't want you to go into isolation with so-and-so, and she still goes into isolation. That seems to be the only case where she is also to her husband. So the, as far as I remember, we'll have to wait till Sota, but as far as I remember, it's a specific warning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she, she's suspicious of him with someone. Yeah, she gets suspicious. He gets suspicious of his wife. She seems to be a bit too friendly with a certain man. So he says, I don't want you to um, talk to him. I don't want you to be alone with him. Says, now, the Gemara says, wait. This whole logic we're going to have to revise. Because where are we holding at? The only time that a woman becomes also to her husband is in the scenario of Kinu Vestira, where there's warning and she still goes into isolation. You're telling me if there are witnesses that she committed adultery, she does not become also to her husband. Rashi points out there's two psukim which, um, um, which imply, don't, not going to bring them out, but there's two psukim at least which imply and t- will teach us, not imply, that a woman becomes also to her husband when she commits adultery. It's not specifically to do with that. And if they aid him that she committed adultery, that should definitely be strong enough to forbid her to her husband. So how can you... It doesn't make sense what Rabbi Lezer said, that a woman only becomes also to her husband when there's kino vestira, when there's this whole scenario of warning. So he says, This is what he's saying. Rabbi Lezer is saying, the only time a woman becomes forbidden to her husband with a... Oh, sorry, a woman does not become forbidden to her husband unless there are two witnesses. If one man comes and tells the husband, you know, your wife, I saw your wife commit adultery, not good enough. He, she's not going to become also to her husband. But if there were two Adim, then yes. And the novel point, well, the point that bringing Nami, um, sorry, and Kinu Vestira is even if there is only one aid, she becomes Asur. Kinu um, Vestira, Rashi explains, um, he, he brings it all out from the Psukim, but Rashi explains because again, there's what's called Raglaim Ladover. It's uh, very suspicious. The husband saw his wife getting a bit too friendly with a certain man, so he warned her, don't go into isolation with so and so. She then goes into isolation with so-and-so, and one witness comes and says, I saw her commit adultery. The whole scenario is very suspicious of Nawaf, and therefore we believe the one aid in this case. So that's what Rebbe Lezer is saying. Generally, we would not believe to aid him to tell a man your wife committed adultery, and therefore she's ostrich you. 
but we would, not believe, we would only believe to Adam and not one. But in the case of Kinobustira, we would believe a single witness. And now the important point, and then to just tie it up with Al-Sukya, or Pesach Pesuach, Kishnei Adem Dami. And when he claims Pesach Pesuach, it's as if there are two Adem. Again, that's as we said, it's clear to him. He says, I know my wife, I just had beer with her, she was supposed to be a Basula version, and she was not. And therefore, it's clear to me that she committed adultery, and she becomes also to him. Now the Gomorrah takes it a step further. It seems this is still part of understanding. Oh, but then in the case of David and Bathsheba, why did she not become forbidden to David? Okay, David knew that Bathsheba committed adultery with him. Remember, it was David, uh, we're going to see it, but so David summoned Bathsheba, who was married to Uriah. So granted, Uriah didn't know, and let's say there weren't two witnesses to tell, and there wasn't Kinu Vestura, Uriah had never told her, I don't, I'm worried, I'm suspicious of you and, and David Amelech. Um, I think it seems that Uriah and Bathsheba were from, uh, they were dignitaries, nobility, but uh, who said they had anything to do with David Amelech? Um, she, he had no re- he, we don't see in the narrative that he warned his wife from being alone with David Amelech. So there's no Kinu Vestura. So, But still, David knew that he had committed adultery with her. So the Gemara says, no, There she was raped. There's two ways of understanding the rape. Definitely this, that she was brought from her home to the palace, was forced. Someone who say, even the actual act of beer was rape. David Hamelech raped her. Some say, not as far as that, but... But um, if you look in Sanhedrin, Bathsheba was a mana. And as we said, a mana is always considered oinase, no matter how willful she is. Okay, but either way, David, she was raped. Now we said that a, a woman who's raped is still permitted to her husband. So we're now adding in a very novel point, and we're saying on the flip side, we said just as the woman who commits adultery becomes also to her husband, she becomes also to the person, the adulterer. Now we're saying, well, then in a case where she does not become also to her husband... For example, she was raped. She does not become also to the rapist. Quite a novel point because he, on his side, it was an act of adultery. It was um, her side. She was oine. She was raped. There's nothing she could do. But on his side, it was. But that's what it seems. Um, at least according to that answer. No, there's another way of explaining why David was allowed to remain whatever based on. The teaching of Rashmul Banachmani Omar Bionasan. Call Hayotzel Milchemes David get Christus Kosev the Ishtar. Anyone who would, who fought in David's wars, anyone who was part of David's army, would write, uh, get for his wife. We'll come back to discuss exactly what type of deceive. Where do we see this? Now, this is long before David Amelech was king, or not long before, but this is when the Jews were fighting the Plishtim and there was Goliaths. So David's older brothers were there. And his father, Yishai, sent David to go check on his, little, on his, on his older brothers. He says, Now, what did the father tell David? He says, I want you to go find out how your brothers are doing. And take their aruvasom. My aruvasom. What does it mean, take their aruvasom? Says Tony Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef explained the things that bond mix him and her. I want you to go to your brothers, and what binds him with her, the brothers with their wives? Take it from them. I want you to get a divorce document from your brothers. Ah, your brothers are about to go into battle. I want you to go get a divorce document. And Rashi says that um, even though this was just before David was king, and it was when Shu was the king. He says, David learned from his father that this is the correct behavior. So David insisted or encouraged his soldiers to write a get before they go out to battle. There's two reasons why you would want to write a divorce document before going into the battle. The one is so that if he, if he dies in battle without children, his wife doesn't fall in Yibum. And a second one, a second reason, which I think in my mind is a much more pertinent one, is what happens if he goes missing. He gets captured, and you don't know whether he's alive or dead. He doesn't return from the war, but no one actually registered that. They saw that in dark. I don't, I don't know. Um, but this would be, so, so David Melech would give all his wife. So what happened? Um, so what are we saying? Back to our discussion. 
we asked, how could David remain with Bathsheba? If you say that David committed adultery, how could he remain with Bathsheba? She says, no, Bathsheba had a divorce from her husband Uriah. Because all of David's soldiers used to get divorce documents before they would go into battle. So she actually wasn't married. Um, yeah, Rashi explains what was the get. The get was a document saying, from today, if you don't return from the battle, this is a divorce document. So even though Uriel was still alive, when Bathsheba, when David was intimate with Bathsheba. Because, you know, then David sent for Uriah to come back, and then Uriah came back, and he went back to the, war, back to the battlefront. The war hadn't ended yet, so, so there, and then Uriah died in the battle, so it comes retroactively, kicks in, and makes, um, and she was divorced from the day that Uriah left to battle. That's how Rashi learns. Tossus is not happy. He says, no, that's, that's basically adultery. This, that David slept with her when her husband was still alive on a because of a get that he says no. Tosus Rabbanu Tam learns that he had to give her a proper get. That basically any husband going out to war would give his wife a proper get. Says they would do it in secret. That's why it's still considered inappropriate. And always the hope was that the husband would come back and they would get remarried. But basically a husband going to battle would give a proper get to his wife. Um, you run around the problem of then David didn't commit adultery. Because oh, the Gemara refers to it and or the Tanakh seems to allude to it as if it was adultery. Yeah, because they used to give this get um, in secret, and they used to give the get with intent that they would remain, that the husband and wife would remain loyal to each other, even though they were divorced. Therefore, David is encroaching on a marriage, even though it's not actual adultery. Well, the, 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 the side of a, so Uriah went no, Uriah went to war. Then David, David was at home and he saw Bathsheba and he was intimate with her. And then he realized what he'd done, so he sent for Uriah to come back. Uriah came back, but he didn't go back home. He said, I can't go back home to my wife. My, my brothers are still on the battle, on the, what's it, at the battlefront. So he slept outside, so he wasn't. And then he went back to battle and David arranged for him to be in the most dangerous place in the battle and Uriah and, and set up the scenario that Uriah died in battle. Again, once he died, and according to Rashi, the get kicks in from the day he left for battle, or according to Tosfos, anyway, there was already a get, a proper get given. But either way, David did not commit adultery, and that's why he was... Uh... So that's how Rashi learns it was a conditional get, but Tosfos seemed to learn... That... Pardon? Yeah, so that, that's how Rashi learns. Rashi learns like that, but Tosfos has a, quite a few questions on that. Not going to go into it now. And that's why I said Tosfos' learner was a proper get, not a conditional get. Okay, let's carry on. Now, Omar Abaye, Af we also learned this. I, we also learned that a husband's claim of Pesach Poswach is believed for him. And he's actually going to extend, we're going to see, to the Ksuba. I. Again, as I pointed out, you might want to say when a husband claims Pesach Pesuach, just tell him, you're talking nonsense. You don't know what you were supposed to experience. It was your first time, something like that. I mean, maybe we're speaking about a guy who's been married a few times before. Maybe we're speaking about a guy who's getting married for his first time. But, so Pesach Pesuach is a little bit uh, of a dubious claim. So Abai says, no, we don't. We believe him. And I'll show you from the Mishnah. It says, This is our Mishnah. A Basula must get married on Wednesday, but not on Thursday. My time, but why not on Thursday? He says, We worry that he'll calm down. When he has beer with his wife for the first time and he realizes she's not a virgin, he's going to be furious and upset. So he's going to rush to Baisdin the following morning. But if Baisdin is only in about half a week, he might calm down by then and not bother going. Now, the, the Gomorrah is going to prove, but why would Chazal care? So Chazal is saying that a woman must get married, a basula must get married on this Wednesday, because we're worried that he won't go to Beisdin and divorce her. What? Why would Chazal? It can't be just a monetary dispute or something like that. Because then if he doesn't care about the money, why would Beisdin care about the money? It must be that Beisdin, the claim that he has, Beisdin, it would be Asur, it would be forbidden if he would transgress a law by remaining with her. So he says, Ulamai, 
What's the claim? He says, If it's regarding giving her the ksuba, so he says, you know what, I'm not going to bother to go to Beisden anymore. Well, then he's basically saying, I don't mind giving the ksuba. So Chazal aren't going to come along and institute a special um, law that you have to get married on a certain day because we don't, we don't want him to waive the right of, losing the, of not having to pay the ksuba. If he wants to pay it, he can pay it. So that can't be the scenario. It says, Sura Olive, and must be that she becomes forbidden to him. With the Kartoin Tana, so it must based on his claim. So again, we're saying must be based on his claim that he's going to say in court tomorrow, she will become assertive again through the Isudorais of a man remaining with an adulteress. And therefore, the claim is going to carry the weight. And that's why Chazal don't want her. Because based on his claim should be forbidden to him. So Chazal don't want them to carry on living together. That's why they make a special day. But now the Gemara asks, my, my love. The Kotoin Tanis Pesach Pesach. It must be the claim is Pesach Pesach. He's going to come to court and say, I didn't find her. So we see from our Mishnah, by the fact that our Mishnah says she has to get married on a certain day, we see it must be she becomes also based on the husband's claim. And the husband's claim must be Pesach Pesach. So it's law. The Gemara says, not, it's not a good proof from our Mishnah. The Kotoin Tanis Damim. It could be the claim is Damim. He says, look, I've got the sheets and there's no blood on them. That is a much more clear cut claim. There is or there isn't blood. So when he claims that there's no blood, he has quite a strong argument that she wasn't a virgin. And it's not something that's up to experience and you can say, well, you don't know what you're talking about or maybe there was resistance, you just didn't understand. Or, you know, there's no, there's no, there's, there is or there isn't blood. So that's not. Okay, now we're going to give basically very similar to Rebbe Lezer. It says, Omar Rabbi Yehuda, Omar Shmuel, Ha'oyme Pesach Potsos Motsasi, Neman Latsido Tsubasa. Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Shmuel, if a man claims Pesach Potsos Motsasi, he's believed to lose her Ksuba. Remember, as I explained, according to Rebbe Lezer, according to Rashi, she's only believed to make her osu to him, but since his claim isn't, he can't substantiate, he can't verify or prove his claim that there was no resistance, then He's only believed to make her osir to him, but not to lose her ksuba. And then according to Shmuel, no, he takes it a step further and says it's a strong enough claim even to cost her her ksuba. We're going to see why should it be so strong to cost her ksuba. So we're going to see because if he, if he, if his, what's his motivation? He married this woman. The next day he's going to base him to divorce her. Either you're going to say he started hating her a few days or weeks ago. He wouldn't have gone through with the whole reception. Paid the caterer, paid the hall, paid the band just to divorce her the next morning. He wouldn't do that. So therefore, it gives, lends a credibility to his claim. And that credibility, Chazal, as we see, say it's strong enough to cost her that's our Shmuel. There are others who learn that Rebbe Lezer and Shmuel aren't arguing. Uh, yeah, I wrote, I, I came out, there, there are like three questions of, does Shmuel agree to Rebbe Lezer that she becomes also to him? Maybe Shmuel says he loses the ksuba but doesn't become also to him. That's how Tosha seems to learn. There's another possibility, does Rebbe Lezer agree to Shmuel? Rebbe Lezer said that she becomes also to him, but Rebbe Lezer didn't say anything about losing the ksuba. Rashi says it doesn't lo- she doesn't lose her ksuba. But maybe you could learn, and there are other issues on him who learn that she does learn his ksuba. And then a third thing is, th- yeah, okay, let's leave it at that. So that's Rav Yehuda Amar Shmuel says, when he claims Pesach Motzah Potsasi, she loses her ksuba. Either get divorced and she's treated as an adulterer to the degree that he doesn't have to play. Says Omar Rav Yosef, Michael Mashmalan, what's he coming to teach us? Tanina, we already know this. If someone eats by his father-in-law in Yehuda, not with, with no chaperone, not under supervision, he's not allowed to claim because he's left alone with her. Remember we learned the other day in Yehuda that he had the practice of allowing the young bride and groom who had done a rusin to be alone together so that they become more familiar and at the wedding night not such a shock. Now the idea was just for them to be alone together, but what's going to happen if you leave a young couple um, alone together? We know it's going to, what's very likely to happen. So be Yehud, but the Gemara makes the deal. Be Yehuda who deloy matzitoin or begalil matzitoin. In Yehuda, he can't make this claim again because they would often, since they were left alone together, they would often be intimate. So we never believe him to say she was, uh, um, she, she was. Uh, um, because maybe it was from him. We see that in Galil, he can make such a claim and forbid his wife to him. 
Now, ulamai, what's relevant? What's the relevance? If it's to forbid her to him in Yehuda, why can't he? If a man from Yehuda gets, goes to Bezin and says, Pesach Pesuach Matsasi. As we said, it's Shavya Nafshei Chatech He says, he's saying in his heart, I know I never had beer with her, even though we were alone a few times. And now I had beer with her on our wedding night, and she, Pesach Pesuach Matsasi, she must have committed adultery. What difference does it make whether he lives in Yehuda or not? Whether he could have been alone with her or not? It's what he says he knows. She should become also So the relevance of this Mishnah teaching that um, in Yehuda he can't make the claim, but in other Galil he can make the claim is regarding the Ksuba. Does she lose her Ksuba? Does he have to pay out the Ksuba or not? With the Kotoin Tana, and we see based on his claim he would not have to pay out the Ksuba. Now, my love, what is the claim? The Kotoin Tana's Pesach Pesuach. He claims Pesach Pesuach. I just as the claim of Pesach Pesuach causes her Kasa her Ksuba. Um, yeah, so that the, the claim of Pesach Pesuach costs her Ksuba because the mission is clearly speaking in a case whether a claim has a ramification. As we said, the claim can't have a ramification regarding making her Osir to him because that's Shavya Nafsha Khatikhadi Surah. It makes no difference whether we're in Yehuda and Galil. The only difference must be to cost her Ksuba, and that he's believed with this claim. Umar says, Law to Kotoyantana's Damim. No, you can actually say it's not where he claimed the weak claim of Pesach Pasuah, it's where he claimed the strong claim of Tana's Damim. Um, yeah. You might have said that where something he can't clarify. That's where he's not believed. But where it is something that he can clarify, like Tanis Damim, he is believed. And therefore our Mishnah is no proof that based on a claim, he can cost a Herksuba. It would have to be a verifiable claim to cost a Herksuba. And therefore it's no proof. So just again, in summary of some of the main points we learned in today's da, uh, let's not do... Um, we start off with a claim, we see that a husband's claim of Pesach Pesuach carries weight according to Rebbe Lezer, at least strong enough to forbid her to him. We said that's the principle of Shavya Nafshei Surah. A man is able to say something is also. He says, I know she's not a Basula, she must have committed adultery, and she becomes also to him. Interesting enough, we did say if it's a Sveik's Sveika, then even though that's his claim, he wouldn't actually... He wouldn't become, she wouldn't become forbidden to him. If it's a double doubt, she wouldn't become forbidden to him. But, um, yeah, then we had Shmuel who extend, who said that halachin regarding the ksuba. She loses her ksuba. Now, this is more relevant. Rashi brings it out in Aldaf because you had needed to understand. But wait, so you're saying a husband can just claim Pesach Pesuach and she loses her ksuba. Saying when they got married, they signed a document that he has to pay out, I don't know, few hundred thousand rand in the case of divorce. So he comes to, he just says Pesach Pesuach Matsasi and now he doesn't have to pay that money. He can't verify that claim. So he said, yes, his claim is strong. Because why would he lie after going through this whole wedding reception knowing that he's going to divorce her? It must be he's being, must, most likely, he's telling the truth when he says, Pesach Pesach Matsasi. It's only now, again, I was happy to go through with the wedding because if he started disliking her already from a week or a few weeks or a month ago, he would never have gone through with the whole wedding reception. But the fact that he did go through with it shows that he wanted to get married to her. Oh, why is he coming the next morning? Because his claim is, must be a true claim. He's concerned for the issue of remaining with his wife. Um, and that's why it's even strong enough to cost her a super. Okay, we'll leave it there for today. Have a very good Shabbos.